powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Welcome back, Oilers fans, to another game over Edmonton. It's the trio. We're back. We're back, <laughs> I got, bitches. We're back, and so are the Oilers. Uh, we got Avery in the middle, Zach on your left, and me, Dennis, on your right here. And just like always, we're brought to you by our sponsor, Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction. Every hit, every shot, every goal, including the five tonight from your favorite team, the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, with competitive odds, the best live in play, and more ways than ever to get into the game. Like Minute Madness, our exclusive game with so many opportunities to win by the minute. Download the app in Ontario, use the QR code you see at the bottom of the screen, or head to sportsinteraction.com sdpn to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. And throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs, we are raising money for Alphabet Sports Collective. Alphabet Sports Collective creates a safe and inclusive environment in hockey for folks of all sexual identities and gender expressions. Through education, community building, and mobilization, you can donate to Alphabet Sports Collective at alphabetsportscollective.com slash donate. That's it for all of our reads. We are going live on this amazing victory, guys. It took a little bit to get here, but the Oilers are back in a major way. Uh, I don't know what you guys did during the three-day break, but I know what Jay Woodcroft and the Edmonton Oilers were doing. They were gearing up and adapting to this Vegas team. Avery, what did you see first and foremost that led to this incredible performance after a game one dud? Oh, wow. First of all, you know, there wasn't a ton of lineup changes. I know we saw um, Derek Ryan in for Matisse Yanmark tonight. But what I did see tonight that, again, was impressive was Leon Dreisaitl. Leon Dreisaitl, once again, taking over. He now has uh, 13 goals now in the postseason in only eight games. His run of dominance continues in the Oilers' uh, top six. I love the play, and also Evan Bouchard. I thought he was really active tonight. He got a goal in himself in this game. And again, Edmonton, no, no surprise, the power play steps up once again, takes advantage of Vegas mistakes. As things, I'm sure if you're Bruce Cassie, you are livid because that is the one thing you cannot do. You have to keep things 5-on-5. Five five. This is a team that we saw the fourth power play right now is running over 60% in the postseason. So I like the fact that once again, the special teams for this club were very active tonight, fellas. Okay, yeah. So let me let me actually let's, let me take you guys back to the beginning here. Let me take you back to the game because obviously this was a full on smackdown. This was a beatdown. This was a 180, 180 degree flip from last game. The Oilers came into the last game not ready, not prepared at all for the Vegas attack, the Vegas forecheck. They were clearly not prepared. This game they come in. Like I said, complete 180. They absolutely take it to the Vegas Golden Knights. Looked like a complete shell shock. This I know a lot of Oilers fans in the last game. Worst game that the Oilers have played in, what, two and a half months? Three months? That was the worst game of the playoffs by a mile. Every single player you can point at from top down played horrible. I'm sure Vegas fans are going to look tonight and say, the absolute, the same thing that Vegas is capable of better. Their forecheck was almost non-existent. Like when the Oilers were winning all the puck battles last game, the Oilers came in tonight and they they won all the puck battles. Sorry, they lost all the puck battles last game. Like Edmonton was the quicker team, they were the smarter team, they were a more determined team, they were the more aggressive team. Every single possible category, the Oilers took the W. Now the difference is 
in last game, that was the Oilers' worst game. They still put up four goals. Whether it's on the back of one guy or the back of four guys, it doesn't matter. They still put up four goals and still only lost. The, we're down by one goal with four minutes left and still we're in that game. Vegas's worst game, you see it's not even close. You, you you see the discrepancy, right? Vegas got nothing. Their only goal came in like a high slot tip from Ivan Barbashev where, it, you know, the puck bounces, it pinballs off a bunch of people, bounces in from the top slot, right? So the Oilers obviously performed phenomenally, as good as you could possibly expect. This is a bounce back of Kings, absolutely. And we'll get into the details of why. But I want to ask you guys, before the game started, uh, we we find out they always come up for warm-ups. You always, they always skate, you know, shores on the ice. All the scratchers are on the ice. You kind of don't know what Jay Woodcroft's going to do until the starting lineups come out. You find out, and I know last game, everyone wanted Vincent DeHarnay scratch. Everyone wanted Dylan Holloway in the game, myself included. I was one of those people. Jay Woodcroft elects to go with the exact same lineup, but just swaps out the injured Matisse Yamark for Derek Ryan. What did you make? What What were you thinking when you saw that Vincent DeHarnay was still in the lineup and that Holloway was not in the lineup? Uh, Dennis, last you and then Avery. Me last or me first? Oh no, Dennis, you and then Avery. <laughs> Dude, I know we're we're super excited here, and like, here's the thing, right? When we're talking about DeHarnay, yeah, he he hasn't had a great playoffs. This might be his best game, like. As a defenseman, you know, if you make a mistake, that's that's highlight real, right? You know you're absolutely getting flamed. The best defenseman is a quiet defenseman, unfortunately, right? When you look at how he played tonight, he was making full use of his gigantic wing, wingspan, right? He's not the quickest skater, that's fine, but he's a huge body with this long, long reach and an even longer stick, so once he gets into a position where he can poke pucks off of guys' sticks, it completely negates all of the pressure. And this game, from the beginning, was all about pressure. I mentioned in game one that there was a lot of forechecking from Vegas. They just stuck things into the boards. There was no amount of room, even though the Oilers were running guys in hits. This game was the exact opposite. Anytime Vegas tried to get into the slot area, guys like DeHarnay, guys who were coming back, forwards who were coming back on the back check, they got sticks in lanes. That just completely stifled the Vegas offense. And I think a part of that is the fact that these big forwards were coming back in support of the defenseman like DeHarnay, who played actually quite a few minutes tonight. He, he ended up getting like 11 minutes of ice time more than Broberg. Can I just say a lot of those were garbage time minutes? It was like Jeremy Lin yes. in game four of the Milwaukee Bucks series with the Raptors. Like, it, I don't put a lot of stock into DeHarnay's minutes tonight. I'm sorry. But besides, and again, I, I don't want to be the negative Nancy. Like, I, I would try to be very positive. This was a phenomenal game. Made a great play defending Mark Stone on a rush where he poked the, the puck away. Every other shift was a literal heart attack. I, I believe when when Vincent DeHarnay was on the ice tonight, um, in a in a in a win where your team won five one, the Oilers got two shots and the Knights had six. Not a very good night for Vincent DeHarnay. But again, let's not focus on that. But uh, Avery, your yes. turn. What did you think of, of Woodcross lineup decisions? I'll just call them before the game started. Uh, you know, I'll go back to mention that we're talking about Vincent DeHarnay, and of course, we we all know game one for DeHarnay was a tire fire. He you turned the puck over. The game felt too fast for him. The four check had him having a lot of trouble defensively in the end of the ice. It wasn't 
It was his worst game, of course. Again, he's a rookie, 26 years old, but this is his first bit of NHL playoff action, still learning how to play in the NHL playoffs. So he did use his size. It wasn't as bad. I think, I, I think Zach was a little too far. I, think was, I didn't think it was hard attack inducing from my end. I thought DNA made some smarter plays, used his size very well, and they neutralized the four check, and he made zone entries for Vegas tougher. Zone, Vegas had a hard time with zone entries and getting shot and um, clogging up the shooting lanes. I thought was better. I thought clogging the shooting lanes up was a much better thing for the Oilers. Uh, I don't know, because when, like for me, what sticks out is Darren A comes <laughs> on the ice with Kulak, right? He's in the <laughs> offensive zone. Uh, I don't I don't have his zone starts up in front of me, but he fails to hold the puck in and it leads to a rush chance for Vegas. I found all I I believe Edmonton's rush defense tonight was significantly better than it was last game. Because again, when Vegas mm-hmm. is gonna generate most of their offense, I'd say 75% of Vegas's offense comes off the rush. They are a yes. rush team. Vincent DeHarnay is not a fleet of foot. When he's skating with you, it's Unless, you know, you bring the puck in and he uses his size, which is that's where his one benefit is, is his reach, is his size. He's going to get walked more often than not. And when I was watching him skating back in transition, every time it looked like Vegas was able to generate. And I think it does stick out when you were on the ice, the puck was in the Oilers end. In a night where the puck was primarily in the Vegas Golden Knights end. Like, and Vegas had no fight, no hope. And a lot of these garbage time minutes at the end kind of boost it. But to me, not very happy. And again, not like I, I wasn't very pleased with the Vincent Dehardes play. I like it's, it's still to me, it was more of the same. Just the difference is Stu made the saves today. Mm-hmm. So that's why it doesn't stick out nearly as much. I thought the Oilers forwards also that he was on the ice with when he's on with the bottom six. I thought this was the uh, best game for Nick Bukes. Obviously, there's only been two games in the series, so it's not saying much. But Nick Bukes died flying tonight compared to the last game. Um, I know that was there's a sickness clearly going around. Derek Ryan injected back in the bottom six makes a major difference. He's a he's a phenomenal bottom sixer, one of the most underrated oh, yeah. Oilers on the team by a mile. Uh, let me just check this out here. Like when Derek Ryan is on the ice, he's not on there with McDavid. He's not on there with Dry Saddle, and the Oilers outshoot the Vegas Golden Knights. Right there, they, when Derek Ryan's on the ice, the puck is in the other end. So that's a very big positive there. So I I thought Ryan was a spark plug tonight just fantastic fantastic what do you guys think of them well here's the thing like i love players like Derek ryan because he is a guy that you're right he's he's not he's not got the flash he doesn't have the riz right but the guy is the most hard-working type of player you know he's a guy who never he, he earns everything he never takes everything as as expected you know i'm a hockey player i'm an nhl caliber player you know he works every shift every single shift he's in opponents faces he's against the boards and a lot of the times he he takes some punishment for it because let's be honest he's not the biggest of guys on this roster but early on in the game he already made a huge difference uh sending them to their second power play if i remember correctly from off of a high stick uh it's plays like that high stick exactly Exactly. yeah it's plays like that where he's drawing penalties for you uh the fact that he's a fourth line player and he's able to constantly generate offensive zone time strip pucks away get them you know out of some high danger chances and pin them against boards get them out of the zones that's the thing that Derek ryan excels at not to mention he occasionally chips in with a real beauty of a snipe every once in a while avery totally in in the playoffs guys in your third and fourth lines cannot be liabilities and even better Derek ryan he knows he's been in, in the trenches before as a 35-year-old. And right there, as you mentioned, too, he's the kind of guy you can trust to give you some bomb scoring. 
We saw him come up with a major goal against um, LA in that series. We saw him play tonight. He is the ideal third and fourth line for the postseason where you can trust him with um, a solid amount of minutes uh, in a big game again, in a big game against a team like the Golden Knights. Well, he is one of those rare guys that the Oilers have, and they don't have many of these guys in their bottom six, but he is a play driver that can, he can drive the play. He can be the catalyst on a line without 97 and 29. And when you get down in the corners on the Vegas defense and you get aggressive and you start pushing the pace and pushing the pace and bringing the play to them in their zone, they're going to take penalties. And I know they were the most disciplined team in the regular season, but you see, just like every other hockey team, they're susceptible to it. And you get that hard work, and you saw that come through for the Oilers tonight. That hard work draws them penalties right away. Zach Hyman doing what he needs to do, doing what he did so well in the regular season. Tonight, we finally saw it again. This is probably the first game in the playoffs where Zach Hyman was at the net. You know Mm -hmm. when Vegas is challenging a goal because Hyman's there, that's when he's most effective, right? When he's just teetering on that edge. Um... Derek Ryan, the same. You're working hard. You're down low. Warren Fogle, I thought was exceptional tonight. This is the, this is the thing. You cycle, you get it in deep in Vegas, and whether McDavid or Drysdale's on the ice or not, they, you're making them panic. They have to be more aggressive, and the refs are clearly calling it. And then when the refs start calling it, it it opens it up at five on five because it seemed like you know kind of when the second period started, Vegas is is getting. They're, they're getting nervous to take those penalties. They know if they play more aggressive 5-on-5, five five, they're going to get called. So that just opens up the ice more and more for McDavid and Dressel 5-on-5. Five five. So, yeah, you can have the Vegas Twitter admin going, power play, merchant, Leon, dry sidlers, all that crap. But at the end of the day, this is how the Oilers are most effective. You saw the skeleton of this game kind of in the last game, but this is the Oilers working their game plan to a T. Mm-hmm. You saw the transition game significantly faster tonight. You saw the Oilers not hanging back, waiting for the wingers to get set up. They weren't turning, they weren't doubling back into their defensive zone. It was always you get the puck on your stick outlet pass. You saw Evan Bouchard. I saw beautiful passes to Clem Cawson, Derek Ryan. Regardless, it didn't matter whether it was McDavid or Dressel or a guy in the bottom six. It was on the defenseman stick. It was either one pass to the other defenseman and then out of the zone up to a winger. You can't let Vegas get set up in that two, two, the one, two, two, which they run in the neutral zone because you saw the Oilers run into so much trouble entering the zone last game. And Dennis, I'll let you say your thing in, the, in one second. But, sure. but Edmonton kept getting stifled to the blue line. This game, and last game, it was McDavid and Drysdale were the only two able to make the entries. This game, Bugstad had his legs. He was able to make entries. Derek Ryan, able to make zone entries. Warren Fogel, Ryan McLeod, all those guys make zone entries. You get Vegas back, you get them on your heels. This was the game plan. Edmonton did it perfect. Absolutely. I think it's it's funny when you bring this up. It's almost like last game, what I saw was the Vegas forecheck, the Vegas digging in corners, chipping in against forwards, like getting that transition play through a frustrated Oilers defense line. That's what I saw today from the Oilers instead. Early on, you got a lot of forechecking pressure on from the Oilers, getting pucks, trying to just win some of these battles, getting them into, you know, essentially a lot of power plays because Vegas felt this sudden pressure. They had to make some of these weird decisions where, you know, I have to think about if I give this puck up, this might go all the way back to my end and it's a McDavid it's a dry sidle I'm not going to take that risk I'm going to try and just play a little bit over the edge and when you're right the refs call plays like that that's when Edmonton's power play goes to work and having a, a two nothing lead early early on following it up with a shorthanded goal all of that just 
stacks on the pressure. You know, when you have all of these weights that are just adding and adding and adding onto Vegas's players, they start losing it. They start getting frustrated. They start trying to do things that aren't in their system. And that's when they get into even further trouble. Edmonton finally gets that open ice to play their transition game. And I said it last show, if you're playing a run and gun transition style offense, you're not winning the game against McDavid and Dreisaitl. <laughs> you mentioned Nick Bukestad. Bukestad had an amazing game. I think the, the fact that you have someone who can slide from that third position into a second line position, playing with Nuge, playing with guys like Yamamoto as well. He really elevates the system. Plus, the fact that he's a giant of a man really helps the fact that, hey, everyone else on the ice gets to stand a little taller. Doesn't matter if Vegas guys start getting a little chippy. Bukestad is there. He's got your back. And I think the physicality ended up being a way bigger story than in game one here at the end of game two. Avery, what no. did you think about the physical play? No, I thought it was a, it was a major thing. I, 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 I saw earlier too, I saw as well, you know, we know... We know Mark Stone is banged up. We know Mark Stone's back is still an issue. I saw guys getting, I saw little shots here and there to Mark Stone. I saw Vinny Darnay gave him a shot. That's what you got to do. Yep. You know, it's not, you know, if, if, they, if the refs miss it, you know, get away with that. Find a way to, I mean, of course, you don't want to see any guy, any guy knocking on the game. You don't want to see a guy, of course, taking out for a long time, but you want to affect him, you know, a little whack here, a little whack there. Let Mark Stone know you're there. Let him know it's going to be a long night. Now we all know your back is still hurting you. Well, once Vegas realized they were out of the game, that's when the physicality ramped up. So kind of halfway through the second period, it definitely got a life zone. Attack. Well, after the uh, the 4 or 5 nothing goal, it definitely took off. One thing I do got to say before we continue on. 71 of you guys watching now, I see Mickinator, David W, MGD is here as always. David Deadface, don't recognize your name. Brady Dodd, don't recognize your name. Thanks for joining us. Uh, happy to have you. 44 Dill. Um, Daniel, I saw Glenn up there too. Fr Frankie's here as always. My guy Marty. Um, but yeah. Anyways, anyways. Uh, yeah. If you guys want to go hit hit the like button, we'd really appreciate it. Obviously, there's 80 of you watching now that I just checked back. Um, yeah. But these are super fun to do. Obviously, when the others win, when they lose, I want to die. But nevertheless, <laughs> uh, we're here. It's a game that we can celebrate. And yeah, I think what we should do, continue on, because obviously we talk, we're kind of touching on the main storylines as they go throughout. We should kind of just look at it in order. So when the game <laughs> kind of starts, I know we kind of we're touching on the uh, all the big storylines up front, but the, the big storyline in the first period was the always power play, right? Um, right off the bat, the refs kind of set the precedent. McNabb cross-checks Hyman right into the post. The Oilers go on the power play. And who else? But number 29, Leon Dreisaitl on the power play. What else can you say? Literally the greatest player of all time. My mouth is on the floor every time I watch this guy. Uh, uh, unquestionably the most dominant playoff player of all time. I don't I don't know who, who has a rebuttal. What can you say? It's it's unbelievable watching this guy. But yeah, he puts the oils on his on his back. They, they, like there's no else to say. I don't know. I don't think McDavid's injured. The only guy pushing the McDavid injury is Ryan Rashog, and Jay Woodcroft gave him the one-two Mayweather in the press conference the other day when Ryan Rashog when Rashog asked him a question. So I don't know what's going on there. But regardless, whether it's the big the guy that one guy that Vegas is talking about, or you know all the guys, which kind of was all the guys tonight, Leon Dreisaitl exceptional on the power play. What did you guys think of his play tonight? 
well, like one thing I want to touch upon is I think that through the LA series and even more so through this Las Vegas series, McDavid is the target, right? You're seeing way more coverage on McDavid than usual. The the times when he's really excelling is when he's able to go one-on-one with a bunch of guys mm-hmm. in succession, right? You you can see McDavid go, let's say, like from 200 feet all the way across the ice, beating four or five defenders just one by one by one. But it's so much more difficult if you play the style like that one, two, two, where Vegas is just really zoning in on him. He's getting pressured from two defenders in the front, two defenders behind him that are back checking. That's when McDavid might have a little bit more of a, a tough time, right? They finally started to do that with Dreisaitl after his last game performance. And when you see that sort of ice open up when you suddenly have to have extra guys on McDavid, extra guys on Dreisaitl. That's when you see things like Bouchard really stepping into lanes, finding these shot attempts. And off of that first power play goal, that was, that was a rebound off of a Bouch bomb. Just like he got in the last game. And then the next goal, like, because then they, they shade a little bit to Dreisaitl. They cheat towards Dreisaitl. They cheat towards McDavid. There are so many weapons. All five of those guys can burn you at any moment. The Oilers are, so dominant. And I know, and you know, we've seen on a lot of broadcasts, whether it's TNT, whether it's Sportsnet, everyone is trying to show you why the Oilers power play is so deadly. You know, they break it down to X's and O's. I saw TNT was talking about the diamond formation, but none of them get it right. You know what I, you know what it is? And I, to be honest, I haven't even watched them all to know this, that they don't get it right. Because the reason why the Oilers power play is so deadly is not because of the system that they run. Yes, that plays a factor. Obviously, Glenn Gullitson is a really good power player, but it's the skill that's on there. Every single player is dominant in their position. And it's the audibles that they throw. You see the Oilers, they can change and they could run any of those five guys, maybe not Bouchard, in any position on the ice. You saw Hyman. Hyman, like we said, had a skating lace. He was carrying the puck sometimes around the zone, fending off defensemen. It's their recovery. It's, it's the way Bouchard keeps the puck. And it's the way you saw Bouchard on that goal. I think it was the first goal. Bobbles the puck. It looks like Vegas is going to get the clear, but he could just pull some wizard shenanigans to kind of keep the puck in. There's two Vegas Middle Knights converge on him, and he gets the puck off to Ryan Eugen Hopkins. And they're running audibles. This isn't any X's and O's. This is pure skill. They are taking what the Knights are throwing at them, and they are just rebounding off and using it to their advantage. They, they, yeah, there's an element to it, but this is pure skill, and no one has figured it out because there's nothing to figure out. You change something up, and they just they just go with it, and they're just that good. They're that dominant. That's what I believe, at least. I don't know what you guys thought about the power play. No, you're right, Zach. You know this is the most dangerous team when you see guys moving. Like you'll, you'll see certain power plays around the league. You'll see guys are staying in one spot. Guys are standing still. Edmonton. Most guys are not standing still on this power play. Be it McDavid, be it Bouchard, be it Drysaddle. They're always on the move. Like you mentioned, Zach, calling audibles, adjusting things, creating a matchup nightmare for first Tom McClellan and now Bruce Cassidy in the second round series here. And again, when Drysaddle, when Drysaddle, we saw Drysaddle go to Nedlin before, when Drysaddle stays wide, when Drysaddle goes to the outside to look for the one-timer, it is so hard to stop. I mean, we know it's coming. We know what he's trying to do. We know he's going to the, he's going to the hash marks there, get a one-timer off. And it's still so challenging for opposing teams to do anything about that. That is terrifying if you're Vegas. You know, you know it's coming and you still struggle to stop that. Absolutely. Like, think about it too, right? This team is 
not only good on the power play, they are also good five on five. They're also they're also incredible shorthanded, which when you look at, you know, okay, McDavid and Dreisaitl, they've done their thing. You know, the Boosh bomb for the second power play goal. We know their power play is deadly. During that second power play, the Oilers, I think, never left the offensive zone. They were there for over a minute. And they just cycled off of the off of the play of like Hyman recovering pucks. You know, Drysaddle's he's not a small guy. It's real hard to shake pucks off of him. And McDavid is slippery as always. Bouchard has done an incredible job on the power play, holding pucks into the zone, getting them out of you know these pinch chances. That fact, the coupled with the fact that hey, McDavid now plays shorthanded, means that. You are constantly feeling the attack. You are feeling the attack when there's five guys on the ice against you. You're feeling it when obviously you're you're in a penalty situation. And now, even when you're supposed to be up, you have to watch 97 because he could do what he did for the third goal. Yeah, and, and exactly. I'm glad you brought up the third goal because, yeah, uh, Shea Theodore can't hold the puck in at the blue line and the puck kind of gets chipped out. It looks like Shea Theodore is going to win the race, but Connor's just so fast and out-muscles Shea, gets the puck and just... He looks like he's going to go up top, kind of like you see. You see him pull it in forehand, go right up top over the goalie's glove like we've seen a thousand times. But he just tucks it in right under Laurent Persuas' pad as he was kind of moving upwards like that. It was a disgusting goal. McDavid, obviously so dangerous. To me, it does feel like, though, Vegas gives up more than I've seen out from a lot of other power play shorthanded. It felt, even last game, the Oilers didn't capitalize. But it felt like every time Vegas was on the power play, Edmonton got at least one shorthanded rush. And I know Edmonton does look for the shorthanded rush probably a little more than any other team. But tonight, you saw, there was a power play Vegas had in like the second period. I, think, I believe it was, they were only at 3-0. Uh, Edmonton got three shots shorthanded. It kept being, there was rush after rush. But, and it's not just McDavid making the skills. You see Bukestad rushing it up. You see Hyman rushing up. Darnell Nurse rushing it up the ice. Ryan Ushin Hopkins. It just, Vegas gives up a lot. Yamamoto was bringing up the puck. There was, they, they do leak a lot shorthanded. And I wonder if that's something that, that Jay Woodcroft has specifically isolated and targeted this series. I don't know. But obviously it paid off tonight. Special team merchants power play shorthand it does not matter the oils are taking the w uh yeah and then right again after that goal uh leon dreisaitl <laughs> in front of the net gets the puck shoots it in this is the goal that uh bruce cassidy decided he was going to challenge for interference uh when you heard that vegas was challenging what do you make of that dennis avery avery oh, try oh. and talk some sense into this like why I mean, on earth did he challenge I mean, the way NHL officiating is, I get why you challenge it because you might get overturned because we know how bad it can be when it comes to reviews. But watching it back again, you can tell it was an Oiler pushed into Bronsois. You can tell that wasn't actually goaltender interference. So, of course, if you didn't see that, you, of course, you would think, ah, oh, dumb challenge. But if it was Bruce Cassidy, why not? Give it a shot. You know, they might overturn it. You, you never know. But see it again now. That was not goaltender interference. And Vegas paid for it. Oh, I, I he was he was throwing the hail mary. You're right. He throwing the hail mary. I, when you yeah. saw Haig push him in, if Haig pushed him in to the blue paint, I could see it being one of those 50-50, You know, the refs just kind of pulled out of their ass mm-hmm. in the calls. There was no chance this was coming back, and I thought the Oilers were going to burn them on the power play right there. I was like, this seems really dumb. I understand you're down by four nothing. Obviously, throw the hail mary, but I don't I don't know if that's a decision that I would have made. 
uh, necessarily. Because <laughs> the Oilers ended up getting that 5 nothing goal anyways on a power play later in the game. They went 3 for 6. 50% actually brings their playoff power play percentage down, which is absolutely ludicrous. Um, I mean, we'll, but yeah. we'll talk about it later, but like the later power plays, man, like who cares? We're up well, 5-1. Well, it does. They had Clem Costin on the power play. I don't think the Oilers <laughs> cared that much at that point. They were just trying to look. Because Vegas, so once it gets to 4 nothing. The shots are 19 to 4 after the first. This is one of the best starts we have seen from the Oilers in a while. In the LA series, they didn't have starts like this. It seemed like they were coming from behind quite a bit. And those were close. That was a, those were closer games both ways. Um, but yeah, second period starts. Edmonton on, transitioning. I, I, oh, yes. I do want to talk about that 4 nothing goal. Okay. I, I think that fourth goal highlighted something that was kind of solely missing from that first game. And that's that sort of heart, the sort of hustle, yep. the composure. Because on that battles. fourth goal, the mm-hmm. battles, right? On that fourth goal, Kulak got beat, right? This yeah. this was an effort from Kulak going back up ice to Glad get you the puck. That to recover. Glad you brought that up. So it's if Kulak doesn't... Defense, man. Exactly. If if Kulak doesn't do that, if if he, you know, oh, you know what, I I got beat. I skate slow. I'm I'm gonna probably trip and eat the ice. You know what? I'm just not even gonna skate quickly. No, he hustled back there, stuck his stick in, tried to knock it off, and it did, it, which it led to perfect. led to Hyman, and Hyman had what? a great shift carrying it around. I believe Yamo, 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 it was yes, Yamo. Yamo. Missed the net. Yeah, and. Hiamo paid the price because when he first collected that puck, he was around that sort of like center ice zone, but against the boards, right? Mm-hmm. Yamo is a small guy. He knew guys were coming. So he had to throw that puck quickly, but he did it succinctly, smartly, got it back into the offensive zone, his sacrifice. And later, yes, he did flub the one-timer attempt before he got back around the net and found Leon Dreisaitl. But that amount of sacrifice, that amount of sacrifice from Kulak and Yamamoto was yep. pivotal to that fourth goal. And I didn't see it in the first game. I saw it in spades in the second game. It's the wingers. It's the wingers. Absolutely. Yamo, Hyman, everyone. But once it goes to 4 nothing, and, and I love the fact you brought up that transition defense because it did feel like early on when Vegas did get those opportunities for those 2-on-1s, those 3-and-2s, where they make their money, Edmonton's defense was up to the task. Before the game, Kevin Bieksa was showing how, you know, in the 3-on-3 situation, Edmonton was getting burned. Their defense was just jumbled up. It was out of sorts. It was completely off how it should have been defending a team like Vegas off the rush. They Jay Woodcroft clearly made a switch. They were significantly better defending it. Vegas wasn't able to do it. And then when they mess up those rushes, you get a rush chance the other way, and they were able to make them pay or get in the zone, start cycling, and draw a penalty and make them pay in a different way. Either way, uh, it was really good. Everyone's saying Vinny played 11-16 in the chat. We appreciate it. Also saw Andrew Berkshire in there, so I wanted to make sure that I gave him a shout-out before. But, yes, this is what I wanted to say uh, after. So once that fourth period starts, um, also, oh, last thing about the first period. I'm sorry, guys. Stu didn't get a lot of work. Didn't get a lot of work. Did not. Which is almost tougher because when he did, it seemed like Vegas did get some decent chances. I was really, really happy with the play of Stuart Skinner tonight. Outstanding. Best game of the playoffs by far. He saved, I think, over two goals above expected. And Laurent Persuade, I thought, was the Vegas' best player, to be honest. I, I, he, uh, he, The Oilers generated like o- over four expected goals, and Laurent Persuade was under um one uh goals uh negative one goal saved above expected so he didn't really allow anything that he shouldn't have the oilers were just that dominant tonight right uh they did end up going to aiden hill later in the game 
But uh, yeah, later on in the second period, the Oilers end up going up five nothing on a power play goal. Connor McDavid. That was probably the weakest goal that Laurent Persuade allowed. There were just too many holes. McDavid's too good. Snuck it in right away. But and yeah, when you looked, you look at Brassois, his reaction after that goal, it's deflating, right? You're you're in position. You should have this one. And he just finds McDavid just finds that one little spot behind your knee. How many people are thinking about like that little area behind your knee? You're you're trying to think, you know what? Who is he going to pass it to? This is McDavid. He could do any number of things. And he just goes, yeah, I, I see a spot. I'm just going to pick that one. And Goodbye. they tried to hit the bank shot a couple of times too earlier in the game and missed. He clearly has holes there that have been pre-scouted. Avery you, know, you know, yeah, I was going to mention, you mentioned the bank shot, guys. You know, I was talking to Cam Moon um, last month about the bank shot. I asked Cam, like, as a goaltender, how do you really defend Carr's bank shot? He's saying how in coaching, there's no real way to defend that because you, you normally you push out to challenge guys in front of you. There's, and most goalies duck down when they're playing in net. Like, and, and Connor can see that. Connor pays attention. When a goalie dips his head, and you see, you see more, he's saying to rent that more goalies need to stand up taller to avoid that bank shot. But when your coach is a goaltender, he see you goalies more duck their heads more. And Connor looks for that. Connor waits for goalies to duck their heads in net, which most players don't do. Connor does, and Leon does. It's amazing how those guys wait for that moment when he ducks their head in net. I want to ask you guys about something that's kind of we kind of touched on a little bit earlier. So uh, Marty Milner in chat brings it up. He says McDavid is not himself. Definitely nursing an injury. So, uh, it's funny because you see him shaking the leg. You saw in the end of the first period when Petrangelo goes to slide tackle him and he goes flying into the boards. He's kind of grabbing mm-hmm. his leg there. You're like, is that this leg injury? This, this mythological, uh, not even mythological, this rumored leg injury that like you hear about, there's little whispers here and there, but no one really knows because then you see him flying down the, you know, shorthanded out muscling Shea Theodore and you just, it's so hard for me to say, is he unlucky? And, you know, he's shooting, he's just not he's capitalizing on the shots that he's usually capitalizing because his shooting percentage is taking a dip. And it's something that he'll just, you know, bounce back from. Is it an injury? I, I genuinely can't tell. Uh, Avery, what do you think? And then Dennis. Uh, in, you know, it's tough because, again, like last year, guys like the Andreisel, Carmen David, Jay Woodcroft, they'll never tip their hand. They'll never give you a hint of these guys. Either or not. They'll never say it publicly. They'll never. It's always, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Even when you see certain things, it's never, they'll never admit it. They'll never give you an inch. So it's tough. Maybe that maybe there's a high pain tolerance, but it's tough to really say because no one's ever going to give you a hint that they might be banged up. Neither guy will. Absolutely. Yeah. Dennis? I think MGD said exactly what I was going to say. 70 to 80% of players on all teams are nursing some sort of issue. They uh-huh. they had to play an 82-game season, one round of the playoffs, and now two games in round two. McDavid's got to be sore somewhere. Like, I don't know about you, Avery. We're both the same age. I wake up in the morning and my back is sore. Like, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with me, and I already hurt just doing nothing. Now, granted, McDavid's a way better physical athlete than I am, but he's he's taking pucks against his shin pads every now and then. He's getting guys chopping at him, slashing at him. He's got to be sore somewhere, but no, it's not an injury. I don't think if it's if it's anything that's actually bothering him. I think that he would probably work it together with the athletic trainer. He knows exactly the shape that his body is in. This is a guy who managed to will his bones and tendons back together. So I have full faith that 
Connor McDavid is fine. There's some sort of soreness, but there is when you're playing hockey and he's going to gut it out no matter what. If, yeah. you know, further into the playoffs, we get some sort of development. I'll eat my words there, but I think he is absolutely 100% minus the typical soreness that every NHL player is facing right now. Yeah, of course. Every guy's going through right now, be it, again, be it sore, sore leg, sore shin, if your mark's still on your back, sore, and of course, I mentioned earlier, you're going after his back. Everybody's going through something right well, now. Uh, I was just talking about Mark Stone for a second, and we can kind of get back to this. I thought tonight he was significantly less effective than he mm-hmm. was in game one. Yes. And I just found myself wondering, is that because the Oilers got to him? Now, uh, I was listening to a Vegas stuff after the game, and I heard that uh, it's really weird because Mark Stone obviously had a really good game. He's the captain. It's game of the playoffs. Uh, usually, Mark Stone would be one of the guys that the media requests to speak to. Mark Stone, mm-hmm. last after game one, didn't speak to the media, which led some to believe that he was getting treatment on his back after the game because there was some there were some points where he definitely looked a little uncomfortable tonight i thought he definitely definitely uh looked significantly slower slower uh in his physical i know he did pick up an assist later on but uh there was one play in particular because you saw him get really frustrated and i know avery kind of brought it up a little bit earlier when day harney fell on him and they got those coincidentals with the cross you see mark stone take a retaliation penalty he just didn't seem right getting up from that to me. Like it seemed like this back is really, really, really starting to to affect his play. And when Mark Stone obviously is the number one catalyst on Vegas, without Mark Stone, they're a completely different team. It's similar to make, how McDavid affects the Oilers. Like without McDavid, they're a different team. And I know in chat, Marty's saying you can see he's not himself, and I can see that. It's it's just really hard for me to say one way or another. I see both sides of the argument, and I know we're I'm kind of moving backwards, but I just don't. No, one way or another, if he's injured, uh, I there's got to be something. Just not. It's because they look at it this way. Look at it this way. Evander Kane is clearly injured, clearly nursing something. He's not on the. He hasn't been on the ice for morning skate since what the playoffs started. He's nursing two injuries, according to Elliot Freeman. Connor McDavid has been on the ice at every single practice. Is that just I'm not letting Vegas key into it? But at the meantime, also if he was in that much pain and it was affecting him that much. He wouldn't be practicing. We saw, like you said last year, Leon didn't practice the entire playoffs after Mikey Anderson suplexed him. Like it just, it just didn't happen. So that's kind of where my only pause on that would come from. But let's kind of keep moving on because we keep we keep getting stalled and I keep moving us backwards. So after that five nothing goal before the second period ends, Vegas t- says to themselves, "Okay, you know what? You know Edmonton kind of what we're gonna do to them. We're not gonna try and bring it to them. We're not gonna try and end on a pause note." We're going to try and bring the physicality to them. To me, it felt a little thick. Vegas, to me, is not a physical, not an intimidating team. I said this to you guys before the show. When you think of the Kings, to me, at least from my perspective, I think rats. I think guys who are, no matter what the score is, no matter where they are, you could be November, it could be December, it could be a preseason, or it could be postseason. They're going to poke and prod and pull you down and do whatever they can to win. Vegas doesn't have that edge to me that LA does. It felt fake. It felt forced. It felt like, okay, we need to drag ourselves into the game. I want my teammates to see that we're trying to do something. We need to show the Oilers that we need business, even though they could just felt phony. Like they don't have that Ryan Reeves. They don't have an Evander Kane. Like their skill players aren't going to make you feel stuff. They're, they, they're sending out continuously Kagan Kolasar and William, you know, the stand up comedian. The guy Eric talks Perry. and talks, but he wouldn't fight Evander Kane. Evander Kane's trying to get him to go. He wouldn't go. Van, William Carrier. Yeah. Like, 
Uh, I saw people talking about this earlier, and, and I know we can get into the whole Evander Kane thing because Avery wants him suspended for the rest of the series. That's a lie. I'm joking. I'm just joking. Avery, Avery didn't say any of that. I was just me. But, um, yeah, no. But um, Like, no, uh, let, let's be honest, right? You are absolutely right. Vegas doesn't have that physicality in them. This is a guy who's trying to look tough at a bar, right? He's he's completely emasculated. It's 5 nothing at this point. You are being outplayed. You are being outworked. You're being outphysicaled. And you start picking fights? Yeah, you know what? This is not the Edmonton Oilers that were playing in the playoffs last season. This is a different Edmonton Oilers. I don't even want to begin to say, you you know, what the average height of this team is, because all I know is that they're all pretty much over six feet. You are trying to fight with guys that are way out of your league now. If you're L.A., sure, because you might pull a thing or two. You might get a little bit sneaky, but... Vegas, you don't got that dog in you, man. Hyman, he's got that dog in him. He will absolutely fuck you up. All right? Yeah. The Oilers lead the playoffs in dog per 60. But Avery, (laughs) what do you think? What do you think of when Kulak... So you see Kulak and and Mm Hyman go, and then it cuts to the corner. You see Bukestad and dragging people off and Mm CeCe and Kane. What do you think of that whole situation? I want to hear it from your perspective because you weren't happy with the Kelly Sutherland... Uh, what he did with the Evander Kane thing. Okay. Well, I'll start. I'll start. With the, I'll start with the topic at hand: the physicality. Like Vegas, a couple of years ago, they were a physical team. We had um, we had Ryan Reeves. They were a physical team. They were a more of a scary team two, three years ago. They were a team you really want to mess with. Now it's like, uh, they're not really a team that I'm really afraid of. I don't. I'm not really scared of anybody there. Even though you saw fights with um, Howden, Zach Whitecloud, it's not really an intimidating team. And, and then going back to the um, Keaton Colesar, Vander Kane situation, my issue is not really, it's not really with Vander Kane. Guys are going to fight, understand that. Guys are going to go after it. My issue is that it's just the system of that, how how it's linesmen break up the fights, yes. And if Reeves, like Kelly Sullivan, are, 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 are recording notes. I get that entirely. My thing is when we have a guy on top of another player down on the ice, when the code or how it's supposed to work is, you know, when you're down a guy, the fight's over. Yeah, my issue is that when you have a guy like Kane feeding cold out of groceries, it's still going on, and there's no one there breaking that up. When we all know you're on the ice, you're on top of a guy, fight's done, it's over. If that yeah. whole thing, if that whole thing could, if that whole thing kept standing, I have no issues. I have no issues with Kane teeing off on Colesar when he stays standing. It's when yeah. it's down on the ice and the guy is down getting pummeled. I have an issue with that. I have an issue with the system that mandates more unofficial. To stand up and linesman, I f- I feel that it should be any official, the player. If a, pl- if a fight is one sided, not set in an instance, any anyone should be able to jump in and that a fight is that one sided on the ground. I feel that's my take. So I understand that perspective, and do I agree? I think it should be on the players when it falls to the ground and they fall to the ground to you know stop hitting each other. And ninety nine point nine percent of the time they do. And they fall, you get you get like a love tap, whatever, like good fight, good fight, and you know, off the penalty mm-hmm. box. Now. I don't know if I'm completely making this up. It's something that I feel like I remember, but I might be completely out to lunch here. And people in the chat could let me know if I'm completely wrong. But I believe I remember Darnell Nurse, a couple, like maybe four or five years ago now, got in a fight. And I believe it was with Roman Polak or someone like that, where a ref jumped in, grabbed Darnell. And Darnell was winning the fight. Like he was dominating. So the refs tried to jump in. They grabbed him. And when they were restraining Darnell, Polak started feeding him. 
And I think there was a conversation at the GM meetings or something about linesmen and officials jumping into fights because when they tie up one guy, they're clearly giving the other advantage to the other guy because you can just feed the guy because he doesn't have his arms all of a sudden. And I want to say that at some point there was a conversation with the officials to say, if two combatants are willingly engaged in a fight, you don't jump in until they're done. Because when they're done, like we said, the code, 99% of the time, it just ends. Was it a little greasy by Evander Kane? Absolutely. It's the playoffs. You know what else is greasy? Hitting Mark Stone in the back every time. But that's playoffs. Everything, there's just, there is no, you, as long, the whatever line the ref set, that's what the Oilers are going to toe up to. And they, if this was allowed by the letter of the law. This is what is allowed. The Oilers are going to do it. I have no problem with Evander Kane doing that. If someone did it to Vegas, uh, on Vegas Avenue, you, you're, Probably, I'd probably be here yelling and screaming, no, suspend the guy, whatever. But I know you would. I know oh, yeah. you would. Like, I'm, I'm fully <laughs> trying to admit the bias right now. Like, that, it is what it is. But Evander King clearly, in that instant, got under the skin of Vegas. And for the rest of the game, they were chasing around him. He, most of it, he was in the box, that 10-minute misconduct. But mm-hmm. by the end of the game, you saw... He, William Carey, he's like, let's go, let's go. Evander Kane did what he did perfectly. This is what happened in the Calgary series. I saw someone brought it up earlier. Kane versus Kachuk in the final. Uh, you hear people talk about it on Edmonton Radio. Of, of the Jay Woodcroft matched up Evander Kane with Matthew Kachuk after Matthew Kachuk had a phenomenal game one. Uh, Matthew Kachuk was silent the rest of the series. Evander Kane, I don't know what was said. We don't know what happened on the ice. But Evander Kane won that battle. He Can he go over the line? absolutely but the oilers have him in there because you know more often than not and what do you see when Oilers? he toes it right up to the line that the official set you saw him talking to the officials we saw him under get an understanding of you know what they're allowed what they won't allow and i thought evander kane played phenomenal i thought that reason when he was on uh king bullets are beating the crap out of him that's partially why they won it vegas is going to come up mad and let's hope that leads to more mistakes we saw in the first game alex petrangelo get a penalty for elbowing after the whistle if they can get them mad like that and keep that rolling this is just going to work to edmonton's advantage i know jacob pratt says in chat kane addressed this in the in the game interview after and we know what he said he said uh if someone wants to fuck around they can find out something of that sort i, I believe and i i agree with evander kane that but that is my bias, Joe. Full, admittedly. Let's be honest, right? Hockey is not a pacifist sport, right? There's yeah, there's that. definitely things that we don't want to see, and that's people getting hurt. In times like this, fighting it's a part of the game. Like you said, Avery, if they're all if they're both standing on their feet and they're hey. just feeding it to each other, that's fine. No one has any concerns at all. You know if. If Kane is on top of Colasar and he's punching him in the head against the ice, okay, that's definitely over a line. That's definitely grounds for not only a suspension, a way for more additional uh, discipline. This is a situation where, you know, Kane is is feeding him, but he's hitting them in like the center of body area, like center of mass. There's a lot of padding there. Now, obviously, if if you're Kane, I don't think you're thinking this through in terms of where am I going to hit him. You're just trying to send a message. And if you're if you're trying to just play the cerebral game, you're, I'm not trying to get suspended an extra two games here. I just want to send an impact to him and to the rest of the Vegas organization. Hey, buck around. You're going to find out. Well, that's the cerebral side of it. It's not so much the impact of the fists. It's the the thinking behind it of, look, I'm not afraid to, like you said, Zach, 
toe the line of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. I'm going to get right up in there. And if you want, if you want to find out, you know what? Challenge me. Do things that you will that you will get penalized for cuz from this point on, guess what? I'm not retaliating. I'm I'm not going to go back at you. You can go ahead and chirp. You can go ahead and drop your gloves. I'll do like one glove. I'll hold on to you so that it looks like we I'm ready to go. But the refs are going to hold on. We're we're going to just split up and it's just going to be in your head for the next 2 days. And if you make a mistake, game three, early on in the period, our power play is going to exactly. absolutely make you exactly. pay Exactly. I think mentally there was in a, a perfect position with that. And you saw Clem Costin, like, he wasn't on the ice for that specific um, instance. But then after, you could tell when he knew the physicality was ramped up, you saw, and I pointed us all out in the broadcast, where I believe something happened to Connor, and he kind of skated over, and Connor said, no, like, go to the bench. But then later on in the game, we love it from Clem Costin. It was up 5 nothing at this point, or 5-1, right? Vegas is kind of putting some pressure on. They're in the offensive zone. They're not generating much, but to get, to get it to the point, man, Clem Costin selling out for two blocks in the third mm-hmm. in the third period. That is the that is the effort. That is the the intensity that they lacked last game. And you could saw an MGD said this way further up in chat, but it just stuck out to me. And I think this is the perfect way to describe the way of this game. Vegas was trying to show the fight. But they still they they just lack that intensity. I think that's why it felt fake. You know, like they felt like they were like forcing themselves. There was no intensity even in their physicality. And I think that's the way that it was. But then you see in those plays where you have five by about four or five goals in the third, 10 minutes left, and you're selling out to block those shots. The entire bench is standing up. That's that's the mentality that this team knows takes to win a Stanley Cup to continue on. And that's something that Vegas didn't show tonight. And then after that, Avery brought up the fight with Zach Whitecloud. Clem, Clem Costin, under a minute left, smokes him into the boards. White Cloud sh- slashes his shoulder pad and then grabs Clem Costin. I don't think he knew how good of a fighter Clem Costin was. I think he regretted <laughs> that one really quick. Like you can see Costin's fists were bloody. White Cloud was just trying to tie him up and hang on for dear life. And that's when the game kind of got out of hand. I texted you guys. I was like, they need to just end this. This is it's so way too long, way too long. I was trying to get the show going, but uh, yeah, I don't know. what do you guys think of the way the Oilers finish off the game, their intensity throughout even being up by uh, four goals. Avery, it's what, ahead. it's what you need to win a Stanley cup. This is what you need. how you need to play. This is a response you need to have. If you want to be taken seriously, the Western conference contender, a <laughs> strong game all around. We mentioned, mentioned the great play offensively. We mentioned, the strong play of Stewart and bouncing back from game one. We mentioned the intimidation factor, pissing off Vegas. This is what you need to bring every night to win a cup. And now going game three, back to Edmonton. All momentum is on Edmonton's side. You need to keep this up to take a 2-1 series lead. Absolutely. And this is what I love about not only the effort that the Oilers were putting in, they were still extremely disciplined, right? I mean, Hyman had that one incident happen, but he didn't go out and seek retribution. I know Hyman is, you know, more of a gentle guy, but you mm-hmm. you try and absolutely like clock him when his head is down. He's he's gonna feel angry, right? But he went out, he found Carrier, because I, I think, uh, who yeah. actually hit him? Well, like McNabb? No, so, so I'll, I'll say, that was a really weird play to me, because McNabb tries to smoke him, very similar yeah. to the Trubon Meyer hit, but Hyman um, was very happy, didn't bounce back. Then, 
I don't know why it happened. Carrier grabbed Hyman and tried to fight him. Like I don't understand because made Hyman, no sense. Hyman was trying to get back at him, but the worst he was gonna do was to give him a little smack with a stick. That's yeah. that's Hyman as a player, right? He's not gonna if he sees someone else gets destroyed, he's in that. He's he's in the scrum trying to pick out whoever destroyed, like let's say if it was Yamamoto in the corner. That's what Hyman would do. But when it's himself, you know what? He gets up, he gets a little chippy, and that's it. That's he's he's done with it, right? That was the Carrier, most mad I've seen Hyman, I think. Yeah. Carrier came in and just I, I don't know what's going on there. The other thing that happened in the third period that I applaud Edmonton for being very disciplined with. Aiden Hill, when Kulak was going in on that semi-sort of breakaway, he chopped at him with the goalie stick, and those things are heavy, yeah. right? <laughs> like, yep, they are. Into the boards. Kulak goes flying right into the boards. That could be incredibly dangerous, but props to Kulak for going, you know what? I'm fine. I'm going to get up. I'm not going to do anything stupid. It's 5-1. We're going back to Edmonton. I'm not giving them any momentum going forward. And end of the day like that takes a lot of discipline yeah one thing i just want to say before we you know talk about the game three and kind of wrap it up because we've been going for quite a while kilted zombie throws in the chat i haven't seen your name around here so thanks for joining us really appreciate it costin makes a lot of gaffes but man is he awesome what were the blues thinking and i think woodcroft knows when to limit and when to use come cost and i think that's one of the players he's kind of perfected the use of where you can see him not a lot of ice time he's able he's able to put him in situations where he can score where he can you know use his physicality to his advantage and he's a player that the Oilers know how they especially know how to use and i think it is awesome to watch he's a really particular tool in the toolbox but they utilize him really well we have 120 people watching right now uh thanks for joining us everyone Please go ahead, hit that like button uh, if you enjoy the show. Uh, subscribe to SDPN. Uh, come back for game three. Uh, comment in the chat if you haven't. We'd love to read your comments. It's supposed to be an interactive show. I know we kind of got a little carried away early on, but we're trying to go back to the chat as much. Now, obviously, the Oilers win this game 5-1. to one. They they Blues kind of get a garbage time goal off a couple bounces. Barbashev taps in. Not a big deal. Was disappointed to see Stuart Skinner lose the shutout, but what can you do? Uh, he played really good. Going into game three, obviously, I think we all three of us expect Vegas is going to give a much better effort. They're going to be their four checks, I think, going to come back a lot harder. Bruce Cassidy talked about the puck battles that they were losing uh, that they don't normally lose. Uh, they're going to try to not put the Oilers on the power play. We'll see how that goes. Um, but just going to game three, I want to ask you, are there any adjustments that you guys would make or you just you roll with what's working? 11 and seven, even keeping Vinny in, just nothing you would change at all? Uh, it, let's let's just say for argument, let's say Matisse Yanmark's ready. Do you put Matisse Yanmark in the lineup game three? Honestly, Avery, go ahead. Man. Honestly, guys, I right now I think with what's worked. They had their one of the best games of playoffs with this roster, and even though Vinny played more minutes tonight, it wasn't as bad as what game was from from the back end. So I don't want to tinker anything. It got you a W. Don't change anything much. Don't ch keep the same thing going games right now. It got you a 5-1 win on the road. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think you're going off of this, like you mentioned, in the other team's barn, even though 25% of the audience, it seemed like in that arena, were Oilers fans. Uh, we go, were we go everywhere. Yes, um, they were. Phenomenal. You could hear them <laughs> on the TV. Thank you to every one of you guys who traveled down to Vegas, who's in Vegas right now. You guys were awesome. We could hear you the whole broadcast, and I'm sure you guys were making Vegas fans mad.
love the, to see it. The fact that at the end of the game, when the Vegas fans had just started to head home, <laughs> and the Oilers fans just just we went ham. That's Moth Pit South, baby. Exactly. Like, people, for those who are for those who are watching and don't know about Edmonton and Trump, Edmonton Vegas relations, there's a lot of Edmontonians who go to Vegas often and who live in Vegas. So that's no, it was no surprise since Mobile Arena taken over by a lot of Edmontonians. Wasn't a surprise at all. And hey, if you're if you're in like Scottsdale, Arizona or something, if you're like 70 or semi-retired, something like that, go to Vegas for game five, man. Like what when are you gonna get to see the Oilers live again unless you fly back to Edmonton? Absolutely. If you're around that many Edmontonians, the only thing I will suggest is you know have um some gloves on just to be safe. You never know. <laughs> Keep the fighter goes to Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine, imagine we like behind enemy lines. Uh, Mayor So he just says, "You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna buy this guy a plane ticket, a one way ticket straight to Nevada. Make him hang out in front of T Mobile Arena. They'll never know what hit him. Get, get him, get him behind the bench. Exactly. <laughs> all the Vegas fans going. They all got nine fingers. Oh man, that's wild. That that's one of the most outrageous stories I've ever heard. That there, there was someone just." I don't know how that happened. Like, was people just walking around like this? <laughs> was the was like, the dude like crawling underneath, just ready to just ah, uh, just yap at no. fingers? Beat what? me how he did that. <laughs> what, what what kind of vampire teeth does this guy have that he's able to slice people's fingers clean off? Like, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> it is wild to me. That's one of the craziest stories. But obviously, uh, that's I, I don't even know. We're kind of going off on a tangent with the rope biter, but uh, hey, you know what? I'm hoping we obviously we we haven't been able to watch news or anything. If there's if the biter's still out there, if, if after game two this happens again, guys, everyone for game three, wear your gloves. It's, wear your. It's like Jack the Ripper. He's just never been caught. <laughs> no. He's always lurking. It's a legend in Edmonton. It's like every time you're walking down in Edmonton, you're on White Ave. Just know the biter could be. It could be anyone. You're in a bar. He could be right next to you. You never know. It's like OJ. Why he doesn't go to California, right? Because the killer could be right beside him. <laughs> this is and this is the perfect time for Robert to come on. Thank, thank yeah, you. There he is. Thank you so much uh, to continue watching chomp, Game Over chomp. Edmonton. <laughs> If you if you work for SDPN, if you're one of our bosses, please don't don't watch this episode. You know, don't don't worry about it. Game over Edmonton's going great. Um, next game is in Edmonton. It's Monday, May 8th. 6:30 Mountain Time is when the game starts. And we'll be back after that. Uh game over Edmonton continues. We'll be back with game three from Edmonton. That's it for us tonight. So long, and let's. Play Play bomb, 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 baby. Baby. Uh, Thanks for the cue, guys. Good yeah. night. <laughs> Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook.